Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. It is time for yet another episode of Stop the Killing. How's your week been, by the way? I haven't seen you for a little bit. I know it's been pretty good. It's interesting how springtime comes and it's a marker in your head. Are you one of these people, and it's something that I've only discovered since I moved to England, that puts their wardrobe for the summer away and then swaps it over in spring. Do you do that? Well, Is that just an well, English thing? No, I, I confess that I do that. I do that. Now, I'm going to put a caveat on this. I came from the north. So in those wintry, wintry moments, I just take all the shorts and t-shirts and put them in a bin and so you do do it. You do swap out your wardrobe. That was a long I way do. to tell me that you do actually do it. I'm too I lazy. Was trying, I was trying to find a way to say I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, what's new with you this week? What is new I with me? your daughter was in a show. Yeah, my daughter was in a show. She was in Greece, which actually might lead on quite well to what we're going to be discussing today because we are doing a topic on misogyny. And one thing I realized oh, whilst yeah. watching Greece was that script has not aged well and it, perhaps it could be called instead of grease lightning, gas lighting, I think. But uh, <laughs> they had a great time and it all went above their heads. So it wasn't the moment to be pulling out my feminist flag and, and planting oh. it in the middle of the school. But yeah, so that was a joy. Let's crack into it. Tell me what we're talking about today. So I think today we're going to have an opportunity to explore a terrible tragedy, one of the worst ever that's occurred in my northern neighbour, Canada. Actually, in Montreal, which is family territory. My mom's family's from up there, oh. although my French is sad. But this is a shooting that occurred at Ecole Polytechnic de Montreal. So Nicely um, done. Nicely done. Thank you. We, so I'm just going to call it Montreal's Polytech uh, School. Let's get into the actual nuts and bolts. Take me to Montreal and what year are we in? We go back to December of 1989. It's a long time ago, isn't it? It is. It's a long time ago. But a time uh, absolutely not forgotten in Canada. So Montreal is a beautiful and very proud city. But in 1989, they had this disaster that changed the face of Canadian schools. So on December 6th, um, 1989, so not too long before um, the holiday break, armed with a semi-automatic rifle and a hunting knife. Ooh, that's uh, chilling already. Uh, yeah, sadly. This 25-year-old individual 
arrived on the campus of the Polytechnic School in Montreal. He went to the registrar's office. He sat in a chair for a while. He was asked, hey, do you need some help? He said, no, 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 I don't need any help. And he kind of ignored them. And he sat there with his backpack and talked for a while to himself, I guess. I don't know what he did. And then he got up and he went to the mechanical engineering classroom building. There was a class going on. He had all the students stand up and he told the men to go to one side of the room and the women to the other. He ordered the men to leave the room and they did. What? All of them left the room. He shot at the nine women remaining, one right after another, (gasps) killing six of them. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. He left the classroom and he moved through the hallway. He shot three others. He entered a classroom, but he was out of ammunition. So he left to hide another area to reload. And when he tried to reenter the classroom, the students had locked the door. So he was unsuccessful shooting his way through. He tried to fire rounds and get through the door, but he couldn't get through. Mm. So he moved down the hallway and he continued to shoot other women along the way. Was there other men there as well? Or he was not targeting the men, walking past the men and shooting the woman? Am I getting that right? In many cases, yes. Yes. In fact, in a hallway, he shot through a window. The woman who was inside had locked the door and he shot through the window and killed her. (gasps) So he began shooting at the cafeteria, and he shot two women who were hiding in an unlocked storage closet. That was a first floor location where the cafeteria was. He ran upstairs. He took an escalator up to the third floor, still carrying his guns, reloading. He wounded three people along the way, two of them men. He went to another classroom, and when he went into that classroom, he told the men to leave. He shot the woman in the front who was giving a presentation in the class. Oh, my goodness. So the woman who was giving the presentation was injured, and her name was Maurice Leclerc. And witnesses told police later that when Maurice Leclerc asked for help, he pulled out his hunting knife (gasps) and stabbed her to death. Oh, my gosh. This guy's a monster. This is horrific. Mm -hmm. Then he raised the rifle to his own head and killed himself. This is just horrific. On so many levels, it's not indiscriminate. So he was moving, they estimate, roughly 20 minutes. He killed 14 women, right? He injured 14 more, and of the people who he injured, 10 of those were women. So 24 people, female. So I'm going to tell you this horrible footnote to this story, because we deal with so many shootings that we hear numbers and we don't put faces to it. The Polytechnic School had a, a public relations director who had to give a briefing on the this shooting immediately. And so he was out in front of the building and he gave his briefing like everybody else did. And then the public relations director, Pierre Leclerc, went inside and found out that his daughter had been stabbed to death. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that is just awful. I mean it's all awful. These are always awful. Always awful. The first classroom that he went into, I think you said it was mechanical engineering, and this is 1989. So how many people were in that class in the first place? There were about 50 people in the classroom. Nine of them were women. Right. So when those people stood up, there were 41 men who left the classroom and nine women who remained. There was a lot of criticism as you would expect. Afterwards, everybody's second guessing. There was a lot of criticism about why did the men leave the women behind? Why did they do that? Why didn't they come back? But I think that is victim shaming. But I think some left, right? Mm. Some stayed, some tried to help people. Some were scared, some hid. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had never, ever had anything similar to this. 
in Canada in their modern time that was like this. It was like a war zone. I think there was a lot of disbelief. And afterwards, because we did much more of this back in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of victim shaming. Mm. And I think in, in this case, at this polytechnic school, we see a shooter who runs to the end of his plan and then commits suicide. And maybe it could also have been that his plan went a little bit off piece there as well, because for some reason he's pulled out the knife, so he's not using the gun. That's a good point, that one I didn't think about. But when you talk about the last action that he did, certainly it's much easier to be violent with a gun because you're further away. Makes sense. And and a knife is so personal that he stabbed her three times. Mm. And maybe that jolt of being that close to her was that ending for him. Mm. I guess the most um, pressing question is what the hell would make someone do this? Right. Well, surprisingly, for a person who committed suicide, we have a fair amount of information. Okay. But I, but most importantly, I told you there were three survivors in the original classroom. Mm. One of the survivors he spoke to at the very start of the shooting. She reported that he said, do you know why you're here to the women? Do you know why you're here? And the students were like, uh, no. And he said, well, I'm here fighting feminism. Wow. And this student, and her name was um, Natalie, said, well, we're just women studying engineering. You know, we're not feminists. We're not fighting against men or women or marching to prove that we're better. And he said nothing in response. He just opened fire and shot them left to right. (sighs) So she survived. And so that's our first terrible clue, right? We know from that that part of whatever is going on is misogyny. I think that misogyny is a word that we hear a lot of times, but maybe don't necessarily know how it kind of fits into all the discussions. Mm. And you'll hear people say, I'm not sexist. I believe in equality. I'm not sexist. Equality and sexism is not misogyny. When we look at misogyny, Equality and sexism may have to do with gender issues, Mm -hmm. but misogyny has a much darker side because it's really a hatred of women. It's not just you can hate women and not be a misogynist, but hatred of women that is really a desire to control or punish them. It's a determination that I want to maintain the traditional historical, social, patriarchal system that we have. Mm. And we've had that for centuries across the world. And women are choosing to push that traditional patriarchal system out. Mm -hmm. And so it's women's fault that we have this. And I am going to punish you because you did this bad thing Mm. of wanting to take historically male roles in employment. Right. Such as law or uh, engineering. Yeah, I was going to say, and they're sitting in the engineering class, which has historically been a, a male dominated classroom. That's why I think misogyny, it, it's so complicated, right? Because mm. what we have is a historical construct in every country of men having these certain roles. And, and some of those translate down into jobs. And honestly, I'm in the United States where we've never had a female president. Well, I think that's interesting because I'm from New Zealand. We had the first female vote and we are a country that's got a female prime minister. It's not our first one, you know. Right. We have a country that has never, we're like one of the only you are. countries that hasn't. Female. It's not gone unnoticed by the rest of the world. But you know, I think if you look at the why, politics is won by small percentages. If you tied misogyny in, to a small percentage of men and women who vote who say women have this role and men have this role and and women don't belong in that role. 
Mm. That's and sometimes that can be dark, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm led back to an election that you had just a few short years ago, in fact. Comments that are made that have gotten out, gone out publicly during the candidate's election campaign, mm. you know, some of those are just sexist comments. You know, the classic, he's just a pig. But the others are more damaging. Just for clarification, yeah. a comment such as, I can't even remember something about women, they love it when they get grabbed by the female parts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that misogyny or would you class that as sexism? I mean, I've, it's disgusting either way, but does that cross the line? I think plenty of theorists would say it crosses the line to misogyny because that's an effort to control women. And part of keeping them in their place is keeping them in their place from a sexual standpoint that continue to you know treat them as an object. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when it was not illegal to rape your wife. That's a modern construct yeah. of the law uh, because it used to be that that was a wife's duty. Mm. Um, if it was a wife's duty, you couldn't be charged with raping her. And you're saying that because that's America, but I'm pretty sure that there are countries right now where that still stands. Absolutely. One of the things that I always uh, like to say about equal rights, like I need this tattooed on my forehead. So when people talk to me, they understand how I think that equal rights for others does not mean fewer rights for you. I don't have the worldwide numbers handy, but I do know that here our Center for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States estimates that one in four women have violence assault against them by their partner during their adult lifetime. Wow. So, but when you talk about misogyny and you talk about how this uh, darker side of hating women and how women have taken on men's traditional roles or they're not being subservient, then that travels into the criminal realm. And we see that in violence at home. And then we see that spill over into violence in a community like we saw in Montreal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it? Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. 
Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. If you're enjoying Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Con Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. I want to understand a bit more about the why. And to do that, we're going to talk about this shooter's background. So what can you tell me about him? So the shooter was born in Montreal region. His father abused his mother and him, physically hit him. The parents divorced at the age of seven and the mom went to work as a nurse. There was a a younger sibling, a daughter. And the father reportedly uh, did not think women were the same status as men. At a younger age, the boy changed his name, didn't want to be related, so he didn't use his father's surname, and so he took his mother's maiden name. And then the police, after this occurrence, and again, this is a little bit of like onion peeling, the police at the time released a very short statement about the subject saying he was 25. He didn't like feminists, and that would be because of what the survivor said, and that he didn't think that women should be in careers that were traditionally male occupations. Right. He began a college program in pure science in 1982. Shooting was in 89. He started that program. He switched to a three-year vocational program in electronic technology. He left that program in his final year, no explanation. During this time period, he was fired from a job at a hospital. He applied to Polytechnic University in 86. Uh And in 89 but was not accepted in 89 because he still needed two uh, college classes to get in. So he finished one of the two classes he needed in the winter of 89 Mm. and then committed the shooting. So there were some vague reports afterwards that he was fascinated with guns and computers. But we do know that three weeks before the shooting, he bought the semi-automatic rifle, telling the clerk he was going to use it to shoot small game. So... What can you pull out of there? How could you have prevented this shooting? Well, I'd love a psychologist's perspective on this because I think it's so fascinating that the shooter, he's been abused as a child. He's witnessed his mother being abused and he's gone to the effort of distancing himself from his father to the point that he's changed his name. And yet the one thing that he's emulated is that same hatred of women that his father displayed towards his mother. But Catherine, you're asking me how could it have been prevented? So there are a couple of pinch points on his pathway to violence where outside intervention might have made the difference. And I think perhaps the first one that I see is the domestic abuse that he suffered as a child. Who knew about that? 
Could a teacher or a social worker perhaps have stepped in and provided counselling or support? If he could have processed that trauma at a young age, I wonder if that would have changed his trajectory. And I think the same could be asked about when he dropped out of education. Oftentimes there is no safety net when people leave school and go to college. Could a lecturer, a university administrator have seen that he's dropped out and flagged that up? Thirdly, he's fired. So package that with him dropping out. His life is not sticking to a plan. It seems to be derailing. But again, I don't know how you put those two things together. You're only seeing those things in isolation. Right. As a society, we don't have a system in our mental wellness, mental health programming Mm -hmm. to look for people who might be under stress. Mm -hmm. What kind of stressors are most common? Financial, personal, emotional, relationship issues, the most common stressors that we see in targeted violence like this. So we know that probably things occurred before that weren't documented. And so there's a couple of things that I wanted to share with you. In this case, we have a shooter who chose to commit suicide and knew ahead of time. He didn't run out of people to shoot. He planned on committing suicide. He wrote three letters, including one that was found on his body, two to friends. So think about two to friends and a third one that was found on his body that included some of this language. He blamed all of his troubles on feminism. He said, women want to gain all the advantages that men have and then retain the favors that are given to women. And this is the crux of his issue is that women want the men's jobs. He said, feminists have always enraged me. They want to keep the advantages of women like cheaper insurance, extended maternity leave. But I want to tell you a little bit more about this whole idea of misogyny and why I thought this was a great shooting to talk about. Several years later at a university in Canada, Dawson College, in 2006, there was another shooting where an individual was killed and there were 20 wounded. So it was a very bad shooting. After that shooting, the murderer from the Montreal Polytechnic shooting, that mother who had never spoken publicly gave an interview. Oh, my goodness. After that shooting, she just wanted to speak a little bit. She said her husband was very violent and hit the boy so hard that there were others who said they think he might have had brain injuries from how hard he was hit. She said that she was not allowed to comfort the boy when he was hit because the father saw that as a sign of weakness. She also said that the day of the shooting, she went to a prayer service, like many people do after a horrible event. And she said she remembers that she said a prayer for the shooter's mother, not knowing that she was the shooter's mother. (gasps) What? Hold on. So the day of the Montreal shooting, she's gone to a prayer service knowing that there had been a shooting. But at that stage, she still hadn't been told that he was the shooter. And she said a prayer for the mother. Oh, my goodness. That Mm -hmm. gives me chills. Yeah. She brought this up because she said she was worried about the mother of the shooter of Dawson College. And she had a daughter who continued to use the father's surname. So they would talk about the school shooting. And she was the sibling of the shooter. And people talked about it all the time about a horrible person he was. And nobody would know that they were talking to the sister of the shooter. Mm-hmm. She dove into drugs. And by the age of 29, she had overdosed. Wow. And so here's a mom who's a nurse and she has two kids. 
and her husband beats her, Mm. right? But she says to this day, she thinks that her son, the killer, might have done what he did because she, as a nurse, went back to work. And so she was taking a job working and that maybe he was just lashing out at her. God, it's so complicated, isn't it? That is just broken. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think that there were definitely people who said, oh, maybe this isn't about misogyny. Maybe he had a personality disorder. But one of the things that I would note is that in his suicide note, he said just that, that his primary purpose in committing the crime was so he could commit suicide. So maybe he was just looking for a cause. Yeah. Maybe he was looking for a cause because everybody has to have a cause. I always think about when somebody commits crimes like this is no one uh, starts out saying, I want to be a drug addict. You know, you're not a Mm five-year-old saying, I want to be a drug addict and die with a needle in my arm. Mm -hmm. Nobody says, when I grow up, I want to be a serial killer. Sometimes people who commit violent crimes, they have to create a persona that they think is the persona that would do something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's not them. And I think that's right out of our behavioral analysis unit concepts that from the FBI. They recognize that violent people sometimes have to create an image of who they want. That's why we often see photographs of the individuals. They have taken pictures of themselves trying to look cool, trying to look like a different person. So maybe in this case, this shooter created this person because he had his own challenges in life, his own failures in life. And he needed to find a target to blame. And Mm -hmm. in this case, he chose the target of women. And I mean, it may not really follow on that he might have chose to lash out at women. But in fact, you know, women are who he lived with and who took care of him and who took him out of a violent situation Mm -hmm. by a misogynistic man. Mm, I know. Oh, God, that's the cycle of it, isn't it? One of the tiny things that came out later in one of the notes, he had said he stopped working and he had been offered jobs, but he didn't take them. And he said, I purposefully went through all my cash. People around him would have seen this change. They would have seen the gun, which would have been unusual, right? He only had it for a few weeks. They would have seen the ammunitions acquisition. You don't shoot 28 people without a lot of ammunition. That's not going out to hunt small game. So they would have seen a lot of things. And if he really had sexism issues, feminism issues, misogynistic issues, that conversation, he wasn't just having in his own head. He had those conversations with other people. But I think this goes to what you commented on earlier is we don't have a system in place in most of society to help a a person who's under stress in their late 20s and in their 30s, which is where the majority of our shooters come from. So who's watching out for that group of people? You know, you call the police and you say, this guy is saying really scary things. The police can't do anything about that, right? But you can say scary things. I mean, honestly, I raised Mm. two children. I said some pretty scary things, I'm sure, right? I mean, we all get (laughs) frustrated, right? There's no mechanism in place in society to catch that other than to have concerned neighbors and friends and Mm, family mm -hmm. who reach out and say, but I care for you enough that I want to address this issue. You know, that's a hard road, right? You know, the mother, she received letters from around the world. And she said, I would not be alive today if those letters had not come in and provided me support. Wow. Well, that's nice to hear because I almost thought you were going to say that she'd been trolled so badly because that could go either way in this world. Yeah, that's true. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. So tell me, what do you think the hard lessons are from this case? Well, for me, the hardest lesson is the lack of lessons learned. Anytime there's a major incident, law enforcement, look at it in hindsight and say, how could we have prevented this? In this case, there was no public inquiry. The police said they didn't want to do an inquiry publicly because it would be too difficult for the community. So, you know, that my little WTF, you know, radar Mm. goes up there. Here we are talking about misogyny. It's a very big brother attitude. What we know now is it's important to do those inquiries every time. But I will say that they didn't have a continuing and endless number of these types of incidents in Canada. They've certainly had some, but not nearly as many as we've had here in the United States. What do you attribute that to? I'm not saying. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Moving away from that one swiftly. Were there any actual moments of bravery or hope and courage that you pulled out of this story at all? Oh, yeah. There were 14 people who were wounded. They were only identified as wounded because they survived. And that's Mm -hmm. because of the people who helped them at the scene. And I think that's really my uh, moment of hopefulness here. This was a long time ago. Now in the United States... We have a national program called Stop the Bleed. Uh, Last week, I was with my old team at the FBI headquarters. Mm. And it was fascinating and fun because I started the program at the FBI. And now there's this team of people who are brilliant working on so many projects that were just like twinkles in my eye. (laughs) I was throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall back then, hoping that we could come up with some things that might help in prevention and recovery. And one of those was the Stop the Bleed program. Well, that is a pretty useful piece of spaghetti that's stuck. So useful, in fact, that I'm going to make sure we drop the Stop the Bleed link in the show notes and recommend that you all take a look. I know I'll be having a squiz at that for sure. Well, for a compact episode that was pretty intense, tell me what little diamond you are going to leave us with today, Catherine. To me, the final message is know the difference between sexism and misogyny. You can absolutely think that only men should be train engineers or whatever you want. But when that moves into that dark world of misogyny, which we see happen in people's households, we need to step up and protect equality for one does not take equality from the other. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. 
Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. If you've enjoyed Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greenie. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid (laughs) elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. CrimeCon UK, the ultimate true crime event, returns to London on the 21st and 22nd of September 2024. CrimeCon UK is the world's leading true crime event and is partnered by True Crime, the expert-led channel available on your platform of choice. From fascinating sessions with some of the biggest names in true crime to raising a glass with your favourite podcasters, CrimeCon UK is an unforgettable way for you to really immerse yourself into the true crime community. I will be there with my co-host Catherine Schweit from Stop the Killing. So come and join us and don't forget to quote Ferris for your special 10% discount. Head to crimecon.co.uk to book your tickets today. And that discount code again, Ferris as in my last name. Ferris like the wheel, Ferris like Beulah, whatever way you choose to remember it. Don't forget to put it in and you'll get 10% off. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. 
Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. That was all fictitious. She stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. 